Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to the City Light Church podcast. We're so honored you've joined us. We hope that today's podcast brings you hope, encouragement, and most of all, adds value to you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We long to see people grow from where they are closer to where God desires them to be, and it's our hope that this podcast is an essential element in that process for you. So grab a pen, your Bible, and a journal, and let's dive into today's message. Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Uh, That's where we're going to camp out this morning, Isaiah chapter 64. But I want to, we're going to take a little journey back to when I was here uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving, and then we're going to push all the way into this Isaiah 64, and it's going to tie into the theme of intimacy, which I've already been learning about, and I want to bring something to the plate today that I believe God really wants for all of us to hear. Perhaps some of it will be a bit painful, but pain is good. They say, no pain, no pain. pain. All right, so we're ready. Let me pray. We'll read uh, the introduction, and then we'll get into the text this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow. And we thank you that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are already interceding for us on our behalf in the things that we don't even know how to say or what to say, you're already clearing them up. And the things that we do say, if it's incorrect or inaccurate, you clear that up and the Father hears. And so this morning as we open up your word, we pray that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are prepared to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. And then Father, as always, Give us the courage that we would abandon our will completely so we might embrace yours fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Last time I was here, we were in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, and we were talking about how God was using this phrase in Matthew 9 to help them understand the call and the commission on their lives, and, and that Jesus himself was using that idea to bring them back to Isaiah 6. And remember when we talked about Isaiah 6, and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple and the glory round about. And there were some angels. Remember the angels? And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the angels covered their eyes and their body and their feet, and the angels flew around. They were saying this. And then what did Isaiah do? Remember? Woe is me, not woe horse, but woe is me. I'm a man who's undone, and I'm a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. And remember we said that wasn't, he was not a potty mouth preacher. Can I get a witness? All right. So, so sometimes we read text and we read them from our position and we miss something there. And Isaiah The problem with Isaiah is that he was going through the motions. He'd been living the Jesus, God, Yahweh-focused life all this time with the King Uzziah, but he'd been just going through the motions. Just going through the motions. And his unclean lips were, he wasn't giving God glory in everything that was happening day to day. He wasn't giving God glory in in the good things, 
nor in the bad things. And therefore, he began to live the life devoid of the Spirit of God animating his, his, his praise, even though he was one of the Levites that was giving praise to God on a daily basis. Wow. You remember Isaiah's response, and you remember God's response. God didn't say, well, Isaiah, I can't believe you got down that place. No, 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 no. God says, angel, fix him. Grab a hot coal, touch his lips. And Isaiah was healed. And then in that healing, remember Isaiah overhears the Father, Son, and the Spirit praying, right? Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, send me. He said, you sure about that? <laughs> then people ain't going to listen. Ooh. Nobody will repent. Oh, Everybody's going to keep going through the motions. Oh. You got revived, Isaiah. But nobody else is going to do that. Lest they have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lest they turn from their evil deeds. Whoa. I don't know about you, but that's not fun. Right? I'm glad Isaiah was an American. He gave up immediately. <laughs> but maybe he was. Because... Uzziah reigned for 52 years, and the Bible says that all of those 52 years were years of prosperity for the nation of Israel. Good things were going on. Life was really good until Uzziah lifted his heart up and decided that he would be in the place of God for the people. Not the Levites, the king. So that's what's been going on. But Isaiah, in the meantime, he's got this renewed faith, this ground foundation. He's ready to go out, and he goes out, and God gives him some revelation. From chapters 50 to 63, we see some things from Isaiah's life that are absolutely phenomenal. Isaiah got to see the Messiah that was to come. He writes about the Messiah that was to come. And we read those and we see Jesus so plainly because we're looking back. But Isaiah was looking forward and he got to see it. And all of that revelation and all of that activity that God had provided for him, we get to chapter 63, which is a prayer. Now I'm going to talk in 64 because I'm going to just get the center part of the prayer. And Isaiah is praying it on the behalf of himself, and he's also praying it on the behalf of the nation of Israel at the time. And the question that Isaiah is pleading about and the concern that he has is that here is Isaiah again after all this revelation. He's lost his first love. Now you remember that word, have you lost your first love? We're talking about intimacy here now, okay? So he lost his first love. Doesn't Jesus say something about losing your first love to the church of Ephesus? Am I right? Help me out, church. Yeah, it's in Revelation chapter... Oh, okay. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2, and he says, You have done good, good deeds. You even hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But you have lost your first love. And what, what does it say that Jesus says he'll do there? He says it only to this church. If you do not repent and do the first things, 
i.e. love me, do the first things, not the good deeds, but being, not doing. If you don't repent, I, Jesus, will remove your candlestick. He only says it to the church of Ephesus. And interesting, the church of Ephesus is found in Acts, in the book of Acts as being one of the most prominent churches. There's even a whole book of a New Testament named the book to the Ephesians. And it is called the Queen Epistle because there's no condemnation in it. There's only praise about what Jesus goes. And the first chapter, chapters 1 and 2, 21 times it says, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, which I think is an emphasis there. But they're only 30 years removed and they have lost their first love. And Jesus is saying, unless you repent, I will remove your candlestick. That brings me back to Isaiah 64. I want to show you a few things in Isaiah 64 today that I think if we do as individuals and then we do collectively as a community of believers, individuals and collectively, we could see some things happen in our day and time that would blow our mind. Notice what he says in the text. If you, he's speaking to God, would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence just as the fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations would tremble at your presence. Notice in the middle of this prayer here, Isaiah is the first thing. He's longing for the presence of God. He realizes that he's not as hot as he once was. He's doing the activities, he's going through the motions, but something's missing. Perhaps that's where you find yourself at today. You're doing the activities, you're going through the motions, but something is missing. Notice what he says, if you would rend the heavens, or the King James says, rend the heavens and tear them. Jewish thought about heaven, heaven and Jewish thought is very different than the way we think about heaven. We think about heaven where? Help me out. There. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Jewish thought was heaven here. Hold on now. We are in the heavens. And they had all kinds of degrees of heavens, but we are in the heaven. And so for Isaiah to say, rend the heavens or tear open the heavens, means that he has experienced a distance in the presence of God. Who moved? Yeah, we always say that. Who moved? We did. And we, we kind of, what happens when we think we moved? Guilt and shame, right? That's the tools of the devil, guilt and shame. Notice he says, I'm missing the presence of God. God, tear open heaven so I can get it again. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, he's not, he's not going to run in guilt and shame. He's saying, I know it's gone, but I need it back. God, break through to me. Yeah. And maybe that's what you need to do in your spirit today. Maybe you're not as emotional and excited like I am, but maybe inside of your heart, that's what you need to say. Oh, God, tear it apart so that you would come down. A.W. Tozer, a preacher of years gone by, said that the church in his day, he died in the 70s, 60s, I think. He started in the 1800s. The church in his day could go on without the presence of the Holy Spirit for 50 years and not even know it. 
Now, if Dr. Tozer believed that in his day, are we any better? Oh, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah cries out with a holy plea right in the middle of the prayer, and he says, God, would you tear open the heavens and come down? Well, what happens when God comes down? There's three things I want you to take note of right here in the text. Notice the first thing, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. When God comes down, he likens us to three things, mountains, burning, and boiling. Let's talk about the mountains first. The mountains would quake at your presence. Anybody ever gone through an earthquake? Anybody raise your hand? That's pretty disruptive, isn't it? Anybody gone through a bad earthquake? I was awakened in the middle of the night in El Salvador sleeping on a roof and the earth was shaking and I was shaking and I'm looking around and I'm like, who's shaking my bed? I'm thinking one of these teenagers are having a little bit of fun with me. And everything starts to move and it's terribly unsettling. You can't seem to get a foot into your balance. And we read about these earthquakes in other places, and we see all the calamity that can bring down buildings and trap people or disrupt roadways. And, and, and the after effects can go on two or three times after the big earthquake, and then these little aftershocks can go on. And so when Isaiah is inviting God to come down, he's expecting that some things are going to be broken down, some things that he depended on. Some things that he delighted in, they're going to be broken down. Can you imagine that china cabinet? <laughs> that was great grandma's dish. Well, maybe God don't want you to hold on to nostalgia anymore. Mm. That was my wedding picture. From 50 years ago, yeah, but you're married, but you're cold to your bride. That was little Joey when we played baseball together. Yeah, but you are distant from little Joey today because you haven't gone and says, I don't know what the problem is, but I'll take my share of responsibility. Please forgive me. We need to anticipate if God comes down, earthquakes are going to happen, and we need to take responsibility for our part in the earthquake. If we're wanting to be intimate with God, we need to let God take us to the woodshed. And some things are good. This is the part that's so troubling to us as believers. Some things God tears up with an earthquake are good. I got to visit two of my three children yesterday, and both of them were earthquakes to me. It's not their problem. It's mine. But let me get it clear now. It's not theirs. It's mine. I need to father them in a new way because of the newness of their adventure, but I'm still trying to father them the way I did from the time they were little until they won all to college. And my fathering needs to change, but I don't want to change because I think my fathering's been good. They even said your father is good. Oh, yeah, I know it's been good. I've been walking with Jesus. It's been good. Jesus said, inviting me to a new place to father them, and if I don't change... 
I will grow cold like Isaiah is cold right here. And I'll keep going through the motions, and it'll sound good because it's from the Bible, but it will be devoid of the Spirit. If we want to be intimate in relationships here, we got to get this relationship. And when God starts bringing earthquakes in, we got to be prepared for them, and then we got to deal with us in the middle of them. Earthquakes. Hmm. Let's get the next one. It only gets better. Notice what he says. Just as fire kindles brushwood, mm, burning. Hebrews says what? God is a consuming. What does it say about the Bema Seat judgment? That we will be tested by. And what will either be what? Gold and precious gems or wood, hay, and... How many of us are willing to let the fire of the Holy Spirit... Test our motives. Test our traditions. Test our philosophies. Test our self-imposed regulations. Today is the first day I've ever wore a pair of Levi's preaching in a church. Don't. Man, them khaki pants are something I had to have. It was security. <laughs> you know, I, I ditched the necktie a long time ago. Sometimes I like to wear it. I, I think it looks good. Sometimes I like to wear a jacket and a suit. It looks good. But this has been a hurdle, Pastor Ken, to get over this wearing these jeans. I took all my khakis out and put them in bags. I got a two or three pair left over, but do, do you see? Sometimes we self-impose stuff on ourselves and not good. Now, if I'm up here trying to draw attention to myself, that ain't good. Let's be very, very clear about that. It should not ever be about drawing attention to me, but we need not to be so stuck in the way we were that everybody looks at us, that's a weirdo. Look, we ought to be known as a peculiar people, but we ought not be peculiar, if you know what I mean. <laughs> needs to burn up tradition. Needs to burn up nostalgia. Needs to burn up philosophies. Needs to burn up the lies that you've been telling yourself that the devil's been helping you with for years. Sometimes you need to let go of possessions. Mm-mm. Some of you need to let go of some relationships because they're toxic. But I love them. But do they love God? Are they helping you get closer to him? Are you helping them or are they hindering you? You see, you need to let the Lord discern that. But letting go of relationships is hard because we like to sing that old song in our heart. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know what I'm saying. And it moves us. No, no, no. If God is burning up some relationships in your life, it may be for their good. What would happen if the presence of God was removed from their incarnal, wonderful, terrible life? If you were removed from them, maybe we play that Michael W. Smith song, you know, what happened to the rocket man? 
You know, we all knew something good, but then that guy got removed. And now we're wondering, and now they have to deal with God themselves. You see, sometimes we hold on to relationships that God has been telling us to let go of, and we don't want to because they mean so much to us, but that's the way that God was going to deal with them. So if you don't let God deal with you, God can't deal with them. And boy, wouldn't it be a tragedy that you were helping somebody trampoline all their way to hell rather than hit the bottom and look up and say, God, help me. Sometimes we got to cut some relationships off. And I don't say that lightly. Those are painful. I remember when God told me to cut off family members. That's painful. And then it says, as fire boils water. <laughs> you know, when fire boils water, it purifies it. It kills the harmful bacteria. It makes it drinkable again. It, it takes something that could be poison and brings purity to it. And that purity then brings it to a place that it can be used again. Now, I'll tell you a little story about the fire boiling water. When I was in college, I got bit by a brown recluse spider. And uh, I was a poor college student, didn't have any money to go to get medical attention, so I called this old Indian woman, Native American woman, who knew all of the herbal remedies of the world. And I said, Nettie, I got bit by a spider. What kind you think it was? I think it was a brown recluse, everything I could look at. And I went to her, and she looked at it, and she says, go home and get two white washcloths and boil a pot of water. And one white washcloth, you get it in that pot of hot water, and then you take that hot cloth and you put it on that open wound, and it will seep all of the poison out. And then she says, you are a man, ain't you? <laughs> she pulled a man card on me. I said, what's the second washcloth for? Roll it up and put it in your mouth so you don't cry like a woman. <laughs> I did it, and it healed me. Now, here's the point when we get back to Isaiah. Isaiah is so desperate for an intimate relationship with God, a man who had one, who saw things, who needs one now. He says, God, I don't care what you tear up. God, I don't care what you burn up. God, I don't care what you boil out. I'm ready. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Bow your heads for a moment. Can you say with Isaiah, I'm ready? If you can't, then ask the Lord, Lord, just help me be willing to be willing. You see, sometimes we've got to start there. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, what's the purpose for all this? 
Notice at the end of verse 2, he says, to make your name known to your enemies so that nations will tremble at your presence. See, here's the whole purpose of all of this purification and renewed intimacy with God, that the enemies of God see activity in the church of God. And they are confounded about it, and they are moved to have to do something about it. You see, God has a lot of enemies out there. The whole world is eaten from the wrong tree. And the whole purpose of being intimate with God and a revitalized spirit is so that we might be a contagious witness in the culture. And at the end of the month, y'all are going to be going through a Worth the Fight seminar. And what, what was the main theme she was talking about? The church has not done a good job at this. And we as Christians and parents haven't done a good job. And the kids are learning from the culture rather than Christian kids teaching the culture. Christian kids should be an influence in the culture because mom and dad are Christian in the home and this is transparent and it's not just going through the motions. It is an intimacy with God. It is a kind of walk that is contagious that your kids know when you're in it and they know when you're not. And I'm not talking about just getting there and doing your devotions and your Bible study and all that. I know a lot of people that do that. They have a prayer list 10 miles long. They sit before the Lord for two and a half hours a day, and yet the intimacy is not there because they are reading the book, but they're not letting the book read them. And it's time for us to let the book read us and then say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And when we get to that posture, things change. We begin to fulfill God's purpose for our life. Notice what he says in verse 3. He wants to be revived to remember, look at verse 3, when you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. When you did some things that we didn't even understand. Now this year when I was in Romania, because when last time I was here, I went to Romania the next day. And late in the evening one time at night, because, you know, the first few days there, you're in a little different time zone. And the Lord says, I'll do some things that you won't expect but don't dare do anything in the flesh. Dr. Bruce Wilkinson says, when we start our Christian journey, we start here with being utterly dependent on God. God's here and we're here. And we begin to build some skills and we begin to gain some confidence and we begin to do there. And then we get to a place where it's real easy not to depend on the Lord anymore. It's to depend on everything we know. I read a different Bible translation every year. You know why? Because I'm a wicked person. I've memorized the new King James and the King James. And when I read them, I'll be like, yeah, 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 I know that God. I know that God. So then I got to go read the NIV. Whoa, I don't remember you saying it like that. Oh, maybe you haven't been listening to me. You've just been reading the words. You hadn't let the word read you. Some of them will stretch some of y'all. I don't mind reading a paraphrase. Like the Living Bible or the Message? Because when they change the vernacular, the vocabulary, sometimes it sets me off. And when it sets me off, then I get in a posture of prayer. When I'm in a posture of prayer, then I can hear from the Lord. That's the key. And so sometimes we got to beat our own flesh into submission. That's why I read a different translation. This year I'm reading the Christian Holman Standard and the NIV together, making a comparison. 
Not because I'm smart or brilliant, because I know that if I don't change the translation, I will say, uh-huh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I can skip all of that Leviticus stuff because I can't pronounce their names anyway. What happens when this kind of intimacy comes? I'm going to run through these real quickly, and I just want you to see them. First of all, it remembers the God of old. Notice what it says there in verse 4. From ancient times, no one has heard, nor has one listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. The first thing is to remember that God is ancient of days. And everything he's done and everything he's revealed, even to a culture that rejected him, he's revealed his goodness and his plan to everybody always. And so this God is one that reveals himself to people. So be there. The second thing I want you to see is also in verse 4, wait on the Lord. How many of you type A personalities? How many of you like to do before you like to be? How many of you like to get up early in the morning and get after it? How many of you hear the philosophy the early bird gets the worm? How many of you believe that? What if God says, don't be an early bird? Ouch. What if he says, be an early bird, but don't go get a worm? Wait on the Lord. So if we're going to really enjoy this intimacy in a prevailing, life-changing prayer, the first part was this part of desiring God to do something. The second part goes into a life-changing prayer. Remember the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Then notice we're at verse 5. Remember his goodness and grace. You welcome those who joyfully does what is right. How many of you do the right thing, but you do it with a sneer? I'm going to forgive them. Because <laughs> the Bible says I have to. Man, I just grew 25 years older just by frowning. Sometimes we don't do things with joy. Now, the preacher's preaching to the preacher. Because at 4 o'clock this morning, the Lord said, "Mm -hmm, you forgave your kids yesterday because they hurt you. They were right, but it hurt. Are you going to forgive the wound or are you going to just harbor it and go in there and get in the flesh and do things in the flesh today? And then people will say, oh, that was a good sermon. And see, you will then applaud your flesh. Are you going to repent and joyfully receive what they asked of you? Yes, Lord. I didn't hear enough joy in that. Yes, Lord. You get closer, but not quite there yet. Can you just breathe a couple times? Settle your spirit. I love them kids more than you do, son. Can you say thank you? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Remember grace and worship. Walk in the spirit. My favorite text of the Bible is Galatians 5.16. You know why it says that? Walk in the spirit, I say, and you will not, you will not, you will not fulfill the desires or the lust of your flesh. That means you got to know a lot. Boy, I could preach two hours on that, but y'all don't have that much time for me, so I'm going to stop. Look at verse 5. But we have sinned, and you were angry. How can we be saved? 
if we remain in our sins. Do you see there the repentance? We recognize our sins so we can leave it, not so we can embrace it. Isaiah is already showing there the biggest goal here, if we're going to be intimate with God, is to recognize it. Some of us don't want to recognize it. But when we do recognize it, don't coddle it. Kill it. Get it gone. And then, verse 6, hmm, all of us, Isaiah is talking about himself and the people in the nation, have become like something unclean, and our righteous acts are as polluted garment, or the King James's filthy rags. The Hebrew says, the thing the woman wears when the time of Eve has come upon her. Your good deeds not done in grace and God's spirit animating them is that bad. Boy, that puts a new perspective. I just thought it was dirty clothes that I had out there to wipe the grease off my hands in the shop. No. We do it in the flesh. This is what it looks like. To the Father who's the judge. Because people will applaud us working in the flesh. But the Father sees it differently, and we need to see it differently too. And so he repents of his self-righteousness. He rejects that. And he remembers that God hadn't stopped for seven. And then I'm going to wrap it up here at verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8 and 9. Yet the Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay. And you are our potter. We all are the works of your hands. Lord, do not be terribly angry or remember our iniquity forever. Please look all of us are your people. Now, some of y'all hear that text in the vein of the way you were brought up. When parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles put such shame on you when you did bad that you were scoured down. That's not the way I want you to hear that prayer because that's not a good reflection of the holy God of the Bible. You see, the Bible didn't come, God didn't come and say, Adam, where are you? I know you ate of that tree. But that's how we hear it in our head. For some of us, that's how we hear it in our head. Some of us, maybe it wasn't a mother and father, but maybe it was the church we went to, and that's how we hear it in our head. And, and, and it keeps there, and, and we still hear it, and then we begin to hear it in our own voice because we repeat it to ourselves. But that's not the voice here. The voice here. Is Isaiah saying, Lord, I know you're wrathful against sin and anything that mars the image. Verse 9. And I know that you say you will remember it no more. So here it is, Lord, my sin, my shame, my guilt. Take it, take it, and look upon me. Now, see, Isaiah didn't have the privilege that you and I have here today. What Isaiah was looking to Jesus, we can look back at Jesus, and we can say it like this. Lord, I know that the intimacy is broken when I hold on and harbor sin, even the things that I think are good. 
But Lord, I trust that you say you won't remember them anymore if I will confess them and forsake them as far as the east and to the west. So Lord Jesus, take my ugliness and put it on Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you remember me and you remember us, your people. And the Father never looks back at us after that kind of confession and says, I can't believe it took you that long. He didn't do that. He doesn't look back at us after that kind of confession and say, do 35 more Hail Marys, run through the rosary beads, or run up and down the aisle, or fall on your face. He didn't say any of that. He says, welcome. Welcome home. What are we going to do today? You mean we're not going to discuss that? No. You've owned it. Jesus paid for it. The Holy Spirit is animating you. Welcome. Now just breathe that in for a moment. Welcome. Come on, because see, when we breathe three times over, we move from our parasympathetic to our sympathetic nervous system, and that's a good thing because it moves us out of fight and flight, and it moves us into receiving and working in our brain. So we need to move from that fight or flight to that. And the Lord says, breathe. And then when we breathe, then he says, what are we going to do today? And you say, I don't know. He says, well, I'm glad you got that posture. Come, let me show you what we are going to do today. As we just enter into a little time of worship here, and I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Amen. Well, we hope that this message has brought you hope and encouragement, and it was just what you needed for today. If you're joining us today and we can partner with you in prayer in any way, it would be our honor. Please reach out to us by visiting our website, mycitylight.org. And lastly, if the Holy Spirit has laid it on your heart to give today, you can do that by visiting mycitylight.org and go to the giving tab or text any amount to 84321. Be blessed.